Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. But I got two young kids. I've got an eight-year-old and I got a 10-year-old, soon to be 11. And that is a terrifying thought to me as my kids are getting a little bit older. And I don't know how many of you guys are on TikTok, but my kids, you know, like to watch TikTok videos with my wife. And, uh, and so one day there's, there's this little challenge thing going on. And, and somebody said, man, you're born in the 1900s. You're really old, right? And I was like, whatever, man. And so, so my kids the other day, we were driving in the car, and my daughter loves music. And she's like, daddy, can you play something for me on your phone? I said, sure, babe, whatever you want. What, what do you want to listen to? She's like, Disney songs. And I was like, what Disney song do you want to listen to? And her favorite is, uh, is the Little Mermaid. So she's like, the Little Mermaid soundtrack. I said, done, babe, I got it for you. And then she asks me this question. She says, Daddy, how did you get music when you were younger? And it started me down this rabbit hole. And I was like, well, I don't know. And it was almost like PTSD flashbacks. It's like, how did I get music when I was younger? And so I started thinking about it. I was like, well, well, well babe, when I, when I was little, it started with tapes. She's like, what's a tape? And I was like, well, uh, tape. how do you describe this to like a 10-year-old who's never seen it before in her life? I was like, I don't know. It's this little thing that's got two holes in it and tape that goes across. And you flipped it from side A to side B, you know. And she's like, well, that's crazy. And I was like, well, then a little bit after that. We got CDs, and she's like, oh, I know what that is, like DVDs, and I was like, Blu-ray, and I was like, yeah, but not that high of quality, right? And it's like, yes, yes, and we had CDs, and it was great. I said, and then I got a little bit older, and I was a 2000s kid, and I really started listening to music early 2000s, and I was like, babe, then, then what happened was, is we were able to make CDs. She's like, what? And I was like, yeah, we were able to download our own music. And she's like, really, Dad? You downloaded music? How did that work? And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're asking all these questions. And I was like, well, we would download things on, like, Napster and LimeWire. And she's like, what, what is this? And I was like, I don't know. It's like this ambiguous program where it was like a utopian environment where everybody just gave music for free. And she's like, you didn't have to pay for it? And I was like, well, you kind of were supposed to, but we're not talking about my criminal enterprise, babe. Look, this is... So, so I started thinking about it. She's like, well, how did, how did it work? And I was like, well, you would download these songs. It would take all day. It would take all day. So you'd start it in the morning. You'd go get breakfast. You'd come back and you'd check and still needed some time. So then you'd go back. You'd eat some lunch. You'd come back and guess what? One song was ready, right? And you'd go back. You'd come back. You'd get some dinner. And by the time you came back, about 10 o'clock at night, all 10 of your, sound, your songs downloaded. And she's like, wow, that takes a long time. I said, but babe, what the real, the real problem was viruses. And she's like, What? What's a virus? It's like, you would always download. I don't know how many of you guys downloaded music on Napster and LimeWire or whatever. Some of you guys still have viruses on the family computer still, right? And so we would download it, but you'd always get a virus. Always, always, always. And, and we, one time, we, this is so funny, one time we got a virus on our computer that it would, it would take over. It was kind of an intermittent thing. And it would turn the volume all the way up, and it would just be like gun blast. And, the, and just randomly. And so, so my dad was in the computer industry, and, and he got tired of us downloading viruses all the time on the computer. And he finally got this antivirus thing that ran in the background. It was just kind of running in the background. And my daughter's like, oh, my gosh, Dad, you're going into way too much detail. Just play the music. And I was like, all right, babe. But I started thinking about it. I really started thinking about it. As we, as we were getting deep, down deep into the weeds of, of how we used to illegally download music and all of those things, how we would, we would download these viruses that would, that would come in and destroy the computer and everything about it. 
And how we downloaded this thing that was supposed to stop it, right? It was this magic thing called, you know, antivirus software. And back in the early 2000s, you would download, you would, you would go to the store and you would buy this box. And it was a fancy looking box because they charged you a lot of money for it. And you really wanted to feel like you got your money's worth. And you would open this box and it was one single disc. And you'd put it in and it would do its thing. And it would, you, you would never really worry about it or think about it until a little pop-up would come up and it said, hey, found 18 viruses, would you like me to take care of it for you? And you clicked yes and it would do its thing. I think so many times, so many times in our life, how many times have we got these little virus things that have kicked up, right? Come on, how many times in our life have we seen these things happen where we, we, we've been involved in things maybe we really shouldn't have, but all of a sudden, man, we got this thing running in the background where the Lord's really just kind of working on our behalf and we don't even know it yet, and he's just kind of running there in the background for us. He's just kind of sitting there saying, hey, man, you know what? Gosh, I'm going to fix this thing. I know you're messing it up, but don't worry about it, bro. Come on, man, we're, we're, we're going to work this thing out together. I titled the message this morning, In All Things. Look to the person next to you and say, In All Things. In all things. The key scripture for this morning comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it reads like this. It says, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It says that we know all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We love to quote this scripture. We, we love to say this thing, man, the Lord's working all things out for me. It's going to be great. He's working all things. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. But when you read that scripture, there's a couple of clauses in there. In order for this thing to go into practice, in, or, in order for this thing really to, to take hold, if he's going to work all things for your good, there's a couple of things that are in there that are clauses that have to happen in order for that thing to work. And as you read it, we'll read it again. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That's the first one. He says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, word right there is you begin to break that down. What that love means in that context is like a marriage. It's like a marriage. If you know this, a marriage is both give and take. A marriage isn't, you know, hey, man, you do 90, I'll do 10, and this thing will be great because together we equal 100. No, man, I've been married 13 years, and it has been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, Right? There's great times, and then there's greater times, and then there's even more terrible times. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Like just yesterday, we had the best marriage ever. And then 18 hours later, you hate me. What happened? What did I do? Help fix me, right? And we'll get into this thing. And it's tough, and it's hard. But you know what? She knows I'm not quitting, and I ain't leaving. And she knows, and I know the same thing about her. Because why? Because we're in a love relationship together. Come on, it's not some kind of business deal. It's not because of the benefits I get from you. It's not because of this or that. It's because I love you. And that's what, that's what this saying right here, Paul is saying. He's saying all things work out for the good of those who love him. Come on, who, who love him, who are in that relationship with him where it's both give and take. Well, Lord Jesus, I ain't got it right now. Man, Lord, I really need your help. He's stepping in. Come on, he's working all things out. And then we're doing our best. Come on, we're doing our best to show our love for him and how we live, what we do, how we speak to others. Come on, our character, our conduct, our integrity. Well, we're doing our best to show others, man, that we are in a relationship with him. Come on, I don't walk into places acting like I'm single. People know I'm married, right? 
Come on, I, I, I don't go into these places. I don't flirt with people. I don't do this. I don't do that. Why? Because I'm in a love relationship with my wife. And that's how the, the relationship is being laid out here by Paul. He's saying, man, you were in this relationship with Jesus. Come on, and guess what? Because you were in that, because you were doing that, God's going to work all things for your good. And then the second part of that, he says, who have been called according to his purpose. Who have been called according to his purpose. And a lot of times many people say, well, that's, that's reserved for people in ministry. Not even close. No way. He's saying, man, that, that, that in that moment, when you're called according to his purpose, Jesus said, man, you've got to fulfill the great commission. Come on, go ahead and make disciples, right? Come on, preaching and, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That's the great commission. That's what we're doing. And Matthew talks about, he says that many are called, but few are chosen, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. When you, when you kind of break that down and when you look at that, it's like Saturday football. I, I don't know if you guys have ever done that or basketball, uh, whatever it would be. We're going to have a pickup game on Saturday, right? And you put the invitation out there. Whoever shows up, shows up, and, you, and we're just going to play basketball. When you show up on Saturday, you're going to play, right? It doesn't matter. You're going to get picked. You're going to play. You're going to have a role. Even me, I, get, I, I have this condition where when I run, I get tired quickly, right? I don't I don't know what it is. I, I can't run very long distances. I, I'm, I, I'm like quick in, in a short burst. You know what I'm saying? It's this condition that I have, right? And so I also have this thing where I'm not very tall, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't created for basketball. You know what I'm saying? But I would show up and I would be out there and I would play. These people would put up with me. They, would, they wouldn't hand me the ball and say, just stand right there. Just, just be right there. You're the perfect spot right there. And I would just stand. Like, put your arms up like that. I was like, all right. But guess what? I would show up. And I would play. I would show up simply because I was there. I got an opportunity to play. That's what it's saying here in the scripture. He says, those who are called according to his purpose, as long as you're showing up. As long as you're showing up. You, you, you don't have to have some special role. You don't have to have some, some this thing happening. As long as you show up, you're going to play. As long as you show up. And he's breaking this thing down. He says, and we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. We know that in all things. Come on, in the midst of an economic downturn, he's working in all things. Come on, man, when your marriage seems to be on the rocks, he's working in all things. Come on, when your kids aren't serving Jesus like you prayed, hoped, and wished they would. Come on, he's working all things. When you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel from this situation you seem to be facing, he's working in all things. Man, he's working it all out. Because why? Because he promised that. He said that. We see Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 50. We see this thing. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph is writing at the end of his life, towards the end of his life. And he's writing this, and, and he says this right here. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He writes it down, and we've heard it quoted many times, and Elevation even wrote a song about it. What the enemy intended for evil, you've turned around for my good. Right? We've all heard it like that. Now, I, I didn't know where that was found. I was like, where, where is that? I started do, doing a search for that. And you find it in Genesis chapter 50. It's the last uh, uh, chapter in the book of Genesis. Very last chapter. Next chapter is Exodus, and it starts with Moses' story right after that. In order to understand what is happening at this point in time, to understand what's going on with Joseph and, and the statement that he makes, you have to take it all the way back to Genesis chapter 37. There's a lot, a lot that's happening in there. 
And Joseph is, at this point in time, when we find Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, he is a young boy born to his father, Jacob, or Israel. See, right before that, Jacob was the trickster. He had this interaction, this encounter with God. He wasn't going to leave until he blessed him. The angel broke his hip and says, no longer will your name be Jacob, the trickster, but it's now going to be Israel. And from you, a great nation will be born. And Joseph is part of that great nation. He is the 11th child out of 12 sons that would be born to Jacob. And he is the favored child, the Bible says, because he was born in Jacob's old age. He was born to him in his old age. And Joseph is clearly the favorite child. I don't know if you've had that in your family, uh, but you typically don't like that person very much, right? You just, you just don't like them. I, in the Hispanic culture, what, what I am, man, the oldest son is like Prince, right? He's like, he's like he gets whatever he wants. And that was me, right? So my, my dad tells me all the time, he, he used to tell me, he would sit with me, we'd be out at the deer lease hunting or whatever. He'd be like, man, son, I think your mom would be more sad if you died than if I died. I'm like, what? That's a morbid statement. Why would you tell me those things, dad? Why would you, why would you say that? That's a terrible thing to tell me. He's like, I think your mom loves you more than she loves me. He's like, that's, why would you say that? <clears throat> Those are terrible things. Don't put that on like a 10-year-old kid. You know, you know what that does to me? You know, it's like, why would you say that? It's like, oh, my God, I got this pressure now to like, like live. I don't know. It's like, I, this is crazy. But, but he used to tell me that because why? My mom loved me so much. Oh, my gosh. She, I could do no wrong. I would always give her my report cards first. Like, Mom, look at this. Sign this, please. Because if dad sees it, he's going to lose his junk. Please, Mom, look at this. And so she would sign it. Okay. She would sign it, and then I would go off, right? And so it, it was crazy. But Joseph was that. Joseph wore this ornate robe that, that none of his other brothers had. You know, they're all wearing like robes with holes in it and tattered and all this stuff. And Joseph was just rolling around with this super colored coat, like awesome, right? And his brothers hated him. They didn't like him. And Joseph was a dreamer. Man, the Lord would give him dreams. And he would have these dreams. And Joseph's problems, he didn't know when to stop talking. You know what I'm saying? You know, when, when you're there and you just kept just turning the knife in their back, like, stop. And you, they get it. You know, leave it alone. And Joseph was kind of that kid. He would tell me, man, the Lord's giving me these dreams. Oh, my God, they're such good dreams. Your dreams probably stink compared to my dreams. My dreams are the best dreams ever, right? And he tells me, he said, I had these dreams, man. He said, I had this dream that, that there were these 11 stocks of wheat. And they all bowed down to mine. I don't know what that means. Probably means your wheat is terrible. My wheat's great, right? It's like, I don't know. And then he says, I had this other dream. All these stars were in the sky. Like 11 of these stars, and there's always 11 because he's the, uh, he's the brother, the 12th one, right? He's like, there's 11 of these stars, you know what? All the stars, they kind of bow to me too. It's crazy. I don't even know what that means. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it means, but maybe one day it'll come true. And the brother's anger burned against him. They hated this kid. I mean, big time hated him. And he's younger, so you know, they're picking on him and all this stuff. The Bible says that Joseph, that his dad tells him, hey, go, go, go get the boys and, and tell them I, I need them to come do something. And Joseph's like, all right, cool, I'll, I'll go get him. And so he takes off. He's not even working. He's just, he's just going in his nice, awesome, colored robe. You know, everybody knows who he is. Look, there's that dude in the colored robe. Look at him. There he goes. And they all knew him. And he goes to this place called Dothan, and he's looking for him, and, he, and they're not there. He says, you, you, your brother's moved on a little bit further. They're, they're with the sheep, and they're, they're out there. And he finally finds them, and he's talking with them. And, uh, and, and he probably tells them another one of his dreams or whatever, and, and they get angry at him. They get mad at him. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to kill this guy. Levi's like, we're going to kill him. Benjamin's like, I'm going to kill him too. Let's do it. And they're like, all right, we're going to kill him. Today's the day. What we're going to do is we're going to kill him, and then we're going to kill a goat. We're going to dip We're gonna dip his little his robe. Oh, I hate that robe. He walks around with the robe. We're going to dip that thing in blood, and we're going to give it to Dad. 
He said, Dad, he died. He got chewed up by a wild animal. Now, when you think about that, I don't ever worry about getting chewed up by a wild animal, ever. Like, the fact that that was a thing for them. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, what happened to Stephen? Man, we were walking to the store. A lion jumped down and ate him. Crazy. We're just trying to go get groceries. We're worried about wearing masks. These people are worried about lions and wolves attacking them on the way to the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? Like, what kind of world they lived in? It's crazy to think that. I mean, really, you're like, all right, cool. His dad will believe he got chewed up by a wild animal. Nuts, right? So much so that they didn't have a body. It drug him off. I don't know. It ate him. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what happened to him. And so they get him out there and say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dip that thing in blood. We're going to say he's dead. He's gone. It'd be great. We don't have to worry about him anymore. It's dumb little dreams, right? It's going to be awesome. Oh, my gosh. And so Reuben shows up. He's like, what are you doing? You can't kill him. Let's just throw him in a hole. He's like, all right, good idea. So they kick him in this, in this dry cistern, the Bible says. As they're sitting there eating their lunch around him, he's in the hole. Hey, let me out, please. Enough guys, stop, right? He's just trying to get him out. And they see these people rolling up from, from Midian. They're called the Midianites. They rolled up. And they were, they were merchants and they were traders. One of the brothers had this idea, hey, we're, we're just going to sell him. Let's just get rid of him. They get him up out of the hole. They sell him for 20 shekels of silver and they send these guys off. Joseph's life forever shifted, changed. No more birthdays. Come on, no more family gatherings. You know, I bet when Joseph left the house that day, if he knew that was the last he was going to see his dad, he would have said something a little bit different. Come on, if he knew if he, he was going to see his brothers for the last time, that interaction would have been a little bit different. In Joseph's life, all the dreams that he had, everything that God began to show him, everything that God began to tell him, all of those things seem to be shattered and lost as he's now bound following some wagon headed off to who knows where. The story goes, Joseph shows up in Egypt. And he ends up being, being sold to this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar is the chief. Uh, he, he, he oversees all of like the, the army things, the, the logistics for, for Pharaoh. And jo Joseph begins to work in Potiphar's house. He's working there for a number of years and ends up gaining favor with Potiphar. He ends up gaining favor with him. And he ends up running everything in Potiphar's house. Everything. All the affairs he has. The Bible says that Potiphar doesn't have to think of a thing. He's handling everything from the people of the house all the way to his, his financial affairs. Everything in between Joseph's got. And as Joseph is, is working there, Potiphar's got a wife. And you know, the Bible, you know, really doesn't like you all that much if it doesn't even record your name, right? And they just call her Potiphar's wife. That's all. She don't have a name. Might have been Stephanie. I don't know. But they don't call her anything. They just say Potiphar's wife. One day Potiphar's wife takes notice of him. And you, she just begins to notice him because the Bible says that he was fit and good looking. And if you're just trying to picture in your mind fit and good looking, just look at me. And you get a great picture of what that looks like. I seem to connect a lot with Joseph in that sense. Like, yes, Lord, I get it. I, I know the struggle of being fit and good looking. I know that struggle. Lord Jesus, I know that. And Potiphar's wife begins to take notice of him. And she begins to kind of, you know, make these little seductive moves towards him and all this stuff. And Joseph's like, no, 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 that ain't happening. No, we ain't doing that. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Right? And finally, one day, she gets so frustrated with him. And they have this conversation, they have this dialogue. She says, what, Joseph, I, am I not attractive? And he's like, uh, I don't know how to answer that. You know what I'm saying? Because she's kind of like his boss, but maybe not. And he's like, I, I don't know. She's like, hey, look, I like you. And Joseph's like, hey, look, this ain't happening. Potiphar is entrusted with, with everything in his house. The only thing he's held back from me is you. I ain't going to dishonor him like that. I'm not going to do that. The Bible says she gets so frustrated. She gets so mad because he dissed her in that moment. That she goes to attack him and he runs out leaving his coat, right? The coat that he had, the multicolored coat. And she comes back and fabricates this story and says, Joseph tried to rape me. And look, here's proof I got his coat. He chased out when I started fighting back. 
Potiphar gets so angry that they send him to prison. Not only just like regular prison, but where the king's prisoners go. He sends him there. I guess the people that would get treated the worst, like if you betrayed the king, you're in big time trouble. And they put him in this special prison. And when Joseph's there, the favor of God is upon him. The favor of God's upon him. I would imagine when he was with Potiphar, he was like, Lord, look, man, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, maybe Jesus, you, you, maybe Lord, you, you're working something here. Come on, maybe something good is happening for me. I, I, I don't know because with Potiphar, it seems to be pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it just goes down again. And he's like, Lord, what did I do? I was honorable. I, I, I didn't mistreat the money. Come on, even when his wife was throwing herself at me, I didn't do anything. What's going on? And while he's in jail, favor begins to put upon him. He ends up being the second in charge of all the prisoners. He, he's helping the warden out. I mean, he's like star prisoner, model prisoner, you know what I'm saying? If it, it's the epitome of getting out on good behavior is what Joseph is doing, right? And he, he's there for a number of years. All of a sudden, these, these two new, new guys come in, and I would imagine that they would, they would you know, set him up with Joseph, and they would fingerprint him. Say, How you doing? Welcome to Pharaoh's prison. You were the innermost prison. My name is Joseph. I'll be your attendant. That's Steve, the warden. He's in charge. I'm kind of his right hand. We're going to switch your shoes for these prison sandals. Right? He's introducing them to what's happening here. He's, he's getting them acquainted to jail life. And as they're there, these two guys have these, these dreams. And they come to Joseph, and they're like, man, we had these crazy dreams. What do you think it is? And Joseph tells them, look, guys, we're, we're, one of these dreams was for the baker. And he tells him, hey, look, the baker, you're going to die. You're going to be strung up on a pole, and ravens are going to pick out your eyeballs. Man, that's what's happening to you. And Ray, I, I would hate for Joseph to interpret my dream like that. It's like, no, that, nope, no, 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 that's not right. That's not it. No, surely you're wrong. And the other guy was a cupbearer. He told him, hey, look, you're going to get restored back to Pharaoh. You're going to give him the cup. He's going to drink of it. He's going to trust you. You're going to be restored back to him. And he tells him this. When this happens, when that happens, because it's going to happen, when that happens, remember me. Tell him you got a friend in jail that told you this and let me out. He's like, all right, cool. I got you, Joseph. If you've ever had anybody tell you that, I got you, man, most of the time they're going to forget you, right? He's like, oh, no, 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 I got you. Don't worry about it. I got it, right? They, gonna, they already forgot about you, right? And so he gets there, sure enough, it happens. The baker's strung up on a pole, eyeballs get plucked out by ravens, and then the cupbearer gets restored. And guess what? He forgets about Joseph. Forgets all about him. To two years later. To two years later, Joseph, the, the, the cupbearer is there, and, and Pharaoh has this dream. And he hears the cupbearer, he, he hear, the cupbearer overhears him having the conversation with these people about his dream, trying to interpret it. And the cupbearer remembers, there was this guy in prison, model citizen guy. His name's Joseph. He told me all about my dream. Pharaoh, maybe he can help you out. He brings him up to Pharaoh and he interprets the dream. What he tells him is, Pharaoh, look, you're going to have this time of wealth. It's going to be incredible. And it's followed by a time of famine. If you don't prepare for what's happening and what's going to come, everything that you built is going to go. Your people are going to die. Your people are going to perish. He says, that's it. And he appoints Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt. He appoints Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph's got to be thinking, this is it. This is what's happening. Sure enough, the prophecy comes true. Everything that he had said comes true. And Joseph, being the smart man that he was, ends up putting one-fifth of everything that they have that Egypt makes in the storehouses, and he saves us. <clears throat> As you begin to look at his life, at everything that he's doing, see, Joseph learned asset management on a place when he worked with Potiphar. He didn't have these skills when he got brought into Egypt, but he learned these skills under, under Potiphar. He learned how to rub elbows with the elite. He learned the culture of Egypt while he was working for this man named Potiphar. 
the Lord knew what he was doing, how he was going to position Joseph and where he needed him to go. He said, but you know what? You're going to take a little bit of an unconventional path because guess what? If I keep letting you go this way, you might get a little more prideful. You might get a little haughty. So we're going to fix this thing for you. I need you to get to Pharaoh, but the way it's going to go is you're going to have to go to prison for a little bit. You're going to make some friends there for a while. I promise you, it won't be as bad as you think, and I'm going to bring you out of that thing. He ends up working second in command for, for Pharaoh. All of what's happening in Egypt. As a famine hits, Joseph hadn't seen his family in forever. They show up. Joseph has this opportunity to exact revenge on his brothers. He has an opportunity to come back and say, you know what, man? You messed me over big time. Oh, my gosh, bro. And now's the time for me to pay you back. As they show up, they don't recognize him. They, they, they don't see him. They, they don't have a clue that their brother is still alive. And they, they come back, they come, they get their wheat, and they're paying for it, and he sends them back. And as they're leaving, they open up their, their sacks to get some of that wheat out. And they look down in there, and all the silver that they were going to pay for that is in their sacks. They get back home, and their dad's like, what did you do? You stole these things? And he's like, no, dad, we didn't steal these things. Have you ever had your parents not believe you? You're like, yes, you stole that. I did not. They're like, yes, you did. And it was that, that whole conversation. He's like, you need to go back. And you need to go back. You need to say, hey, look, man, I'm sorry, but for whatever reason, my money was in my sack. And when they do that, they go back. Joseph reveals who he is to them. They're terrified and they're scared. It goes off that Joseph's entire family is able to be saved. Pharaoh finds out who they are, and he says, bring your father in his old age. Bring him over here. I'm going to settle him in the best land in Egypt. He sends them with gifts on the way back so they can make provision on the way to where they're going. See, God knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. If they had not sent Joseph when they did, when that famine hit, they would have not had an advocate on the Egyptian side to help him get where they needed to go. See, all of Jacob's sons, Israel, all of those sons would be the 12 tribes of Israel. How God was going to establish his nation. How God was going to restore humanity back to himself through the line of the tribe of Judah. How all of those things are going to come to pass. None of that would have happened if he wouldn't have sent an advocate on the Egyptian side to set those things up. At the end of Joseph's life, and after everything that had happened, it says that his father dies and his brothers are terrified of what's going to happen now. As Joseph is a man of prominence, as Joseph is now a guy in charge, they're terrified for what's going to happen next. They're, they're, they're so scared because they believe all of a sudden Joseph is going to get revenge on us. Joseph is going to ha have exactly what he wanted the whole time. Now that dad is dead, Joseph's going to get finally, he's going to get his payback for us. And that's when he makes this statement in Genesis chapter 50. He comes back and they're all gathered around him. I would imagine they're sitting probably in his house at his table. And they're having a family discussion as their dad just died. And they're sitting there and they're talking. And they're terrified. They're like, Joseph, dad says don't kill us. Please don't. And Joseph comes back and he answers them with this. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph had every right to be angry, every right to be bitter. Joseph had the power to annihilate those people. Joseph had, the, had within his grasp the ability to ruin their lives. But instead of letting that anger and that bitterness begin to overtake him, he looks at him and he says, you know what? You intended harm for me. You intended harm for me. But God intended it for good. How many people in your life have intended harm for you? But God's worked it out for your good. Come on, how many times have there been situations in your life 
where, where all of a sudden you've seen it happen. Well, there's no way that it ever should have turned out good. In the midst of it all, you're looking and you're saying, oh my gosh, Lord Jesus, where are you in all of this? Lord, where are you in all of this? How in the world? Lord, I had all these dreams. I had all these visions. Lord, I thought you were speaking to me. I thought you were calling me. I thought you desired and you wanted me. And now I'm sitting here facing this. Lord, where are you? And he says, man, what you intended to harm me, God turned it around for the saving of many lives. Come on, he used me. What he gave me, the dreams and the visions that he had, they didn't expire. They didn't die. Come on, they weren't thrown by the wayside. You didn't forget about them. But, Lord, you were working it all out for me. Had I not been with Potiphar, I wouldn't have learned the asset management that I had learned. And had I not been in jail, there's no way I would have had a connection to Pharaoh through his cupbearer and his baker. Lord, now here I am positioned second with Pharaoh. Lord Jesus, you fulfilled it for me. You, you did it for me. But you know what, man? It will never happen if we don't survive the difficulty. Many times the, the path that in difficulty that we'll walk or the path is the very path that someone's going to walk out in freedom. Come on, the very thing that, that we do, the path that we carve out, that we walk out, that we toil, someone's going to follow behind us and it's going to be a prosperous road for them. Come on, it's the road that we paid for, that we paved with blood, sweat, tears, that others are going to walk easy. But you know what? It's going to be a prosperous road for them. That's what Joseph did. He carved that thing out. He made it happen for them. So how, how in the world do we do these things? How do we thrive in the midst of the difficulty? There's th three things I want you guys writing down on thriving in the difficulty. If we're going to make it through these things, because guess what? Each and every one of us are going to face difficult times. Each and every one of us are going to walk through things that seem to be daunting, that seem to be, you know, so terrible. But if we can begin to understand how we can navigate through these things, then we'll be able to thrive in the midst of difficulty. The first one is this right here. I want you to write this down. Is to center yourself in faith. You got to center yourself in faith. You got to know that God is working all things out for your good. You got to know that what the enemy meant for evil, man, he's turning it around for your good. He's going to bring about a victory in the midst of it. Come on, what people think to, that, that is going to bring you down, the Lord's going to use that thing to set you up. Come on, we have to do that. You have to center yourself in your faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. you got to begin to encourage yourself. you got to remind yourself, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, that, that guess what? That he's got a plan for me not to harm me but to prosper me. Come on, man, you got to come back to 2 Corinthians 1, 20. It says his promises for you are yes and amen. Come on, Romans 8, 28, that he's working all things for the good of you, come on, who are called according to his purpose and that love him. You have to begin to center yourself in your faith. You have to come back and say, Lord, what have you said to me? What have you spoken to me? You can't lose sight of those things. I would imagine when Joseph was there in the, in the prison cell, reminding himself of the dreams that God had given him, reminding me of those things, Lord, the favor that his dad had prayed over him, the blessings that they had prayed over him. Come on, as people begin to call out destiny and purpose in his life, as he's sitting there, wrapped around, you know, you know in jail, figuring these things out, he was probably reminding himself of those dreams. Lord, surely you, you haven't given me those dreams in vain. Surely that you, you haven't just spoken those things over me just to tease me as this illusion only to pull the rug out from under me. Surely you haven't done those things for that reason. And as you begin to center yourself in your faith and you say, Lord, you've got it set up for me. I just simply have to remind myself of those things. Sometimes you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, self, today's not the day. Come on, we're going to make this thing happen. Come on, I'm going to put a smile on. You know what? By faith, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to believe that you've got it all happening for me. Me and Myrna had, had these plans for summertime. 
man, I travel and speak a little bit, and we have some, some, some conferences and, and summer camps that we do. And all of them canceled at the beginning of 2020 except for one, our most favorite one. And it was in Panama City Beach, Florida. I was like, yes. Remember, we referred back to being, you know, fit and good looking. I was working on all of those things. I was like, I'm going to be fit and good looking for the beach. And we had reserved a little bit of time afterwards for the family and I. And we were going to go to the, to the summer camp together and hang back a little bit longer. And as we, as we were doing that, you know, we, the, the summer camp called me and said, hey, man, we're, we're unsure, but, but we're going for it. You know, we'll let you know uh, three weeks out, 100%, if it's good. I said, great. So I, I called, they called me back three weeks, and they said, hey, it's good. We're doing this thing. I booked my plane tickets. We booked a little Airbnb for afterwards to hang out. I get a call back a week and a half later. I said, hey, everything's shifted and changed. We're not doing it anymore. So what are you talking about? It's crazy. I, I, I booked plane tickets. I'm like, don't worry about the plane tickets. And I was in the back of my mind. I was like, I booked the Airbnb. It's crazy. They have a zero refund policy right now. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. I said, Myrna, we got to call them. And she's like, okay, but it says zero refund. I said, I don't care what it said. We're going to get our money back. She's like, no, it's zero refund. I said, let me talk to her. Right? So I was like, no, 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 we're going to talk to her. And so finally, the, I called the Airbnb number, 1-800-AIRBNB, and I call it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting. They said, your wait time is 45 minutes. And I was like, are you kidding me? 45 minutes. I was like, all right, look, I'm going to do it. I put it on speakerphone. We're, we're just, we're watching a movie. We're doing whatever. Finally, the guy answered. Hello, my name is Bill from Airbnb. How may I help you? I said, Bill, terrible things have happened. There's a pandemic going on, Bill. I was going to go to Florida, but I can't no more. It's crazy. You got to help me out. He's like, well, we have a zero refund policy. I said, I understand that, Bill, but you got to help me out. It's COVID-19, Bill. Different times. He's like, all right, man, let me see what I can do. Can you get a letter saying that your event has been canceled? I said, done and done, Bill. So I hang up the phone. I, I, call, I call the church back and say, hey, guys, I need a letter. I need a letter. Can you write something up for me saying that you guys canceled the event due to unforeseen circumstances and COVID-19? They said, we'll get it going for you. I get that letter, I send it back to Bill, I wait another hour and a half to talk to Bill on the Airbnb, 1-800-AIRBNB, and I, I talk to him, he picks it up and says, hey man, don't look like we can do anything for you. I said, Bill, you said if I got you a letter, you'd help me out. He's like, I know man, but it's crazy, you don't look like I'd be able to help you out. I said, Bill, go ask your manager again. He said, all right. Puts me on hold now for like another hour. I don't know where his manager was. I don't know if Bill wanted to go get a sandwich in between, but I'm waiting, and I ain't giving up. And I think that was Bill's tactic. He was trying to get me to hang up the phone. No, sir, Bill. No, sir. I'm hanging on. Get there. He comes back and says, you know what? I said, we really don't do this. We're going to give you a full refund. I said, yes, sir, Bill. You're the man, Bill. Can I write you a review and get you a bonus? He's like, oh, sir, it doesn't work like that. And I was like, okay, thank you. Thank you, Bill. But are we being recorded? He said, yes. I said, Bill needs a raise. Bill's great. Whoever's listening to this thing, Bill's awesome. Bill, if you're watching online, thank you so much for Airbnb.com. Thank you, Bill. Not only did they give me my money back, but they gave me a $200 voucher to book with them in the future. I don't know what Bill did, but Bill did something amazing and incredible for us. But you know what? In the midst of the difficulty, I came back and I said, you know what? Myrna, we're going to get our money back. We ain't losing that. Babe, we're, we're going to get our money back. The Lord's going to get it to us. Don't you worry. The Lord's going to get us our money back. She said, okay, great. Okay, awesome. You know what he did? Come on, you have to begin to center yourself in your faith. Remind yourself, come on, who you are. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. Called according to his purpose. Come on, he's working all things out for your good. It might not look like it at the time. It might not be going exactly the way you want it to. It might not be the exact plan in which you had. But guess what? He's working it all out for your good. The second thing, if you're going to thrive in the midst of difficulties, this right here, is you got to minister where you are. you got to minister where you are. A lot of times we'll, we'll get there and we'll say, well, it's not what I thought it was going to be like. This isn't my spot for ministry. Everywhere Joseph went, he ministered. Everywhere Joseph was, come on, he was a testimony to, to, to what God was doing. I would imagine that he wore out Potiphar on all the dreams he had. 
All the dreams he had. Potiphar, I had another dream. You know, he's probably just wearing him out on this. But Potiphar knew where he stood. And Potiphar knew all about his God. This, this little Hebrew boy that they brought to him. He knew all about his God. When he interacts with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh begins to say, where did you get this dream from? How did you begin to interpret this thing? He says, my God revealed it to me. And he looks at him, he's like, well, you God's it. Yes, you guys got favor on you. So you got to minister where you are. I mean, we were in youth ministry for a long time, Myrna and I, and, and I absolutely love youth ministry, and I love young people so much. And when they graduate, they always come back, you know, they, they feel like super old when they come back and they, they visit after the first semester of college or whatever. And I was interacting with one of my students, a uh, former student, that went off to, uh, to the military. And he was in basic training and all this stuff. And so I just come back and I'm talking. I was like, how was it, man? He said, oh, it was crazy. It was hard. You know, I was like, do you like MREs? We're just, we're just making small talk. And, uh, and I said, but bro, how, how are you doing, man? I know the military can be rough and it, it, can, be, it can be tough to be a Christian in the military. He just kind of put his head down. He said, Pastor Jonathan, it's hard. It's really hard. He said, when I was in basic training, he said, one of the first things I did was I tried to get plugged into a little Bible study or a small group. He said, it's crazy because all those people there were not there for a long time. You, you're just there for the 10 weeks you're there, and then they send you off to where you're going to go. So there's nothing really established. So he said, just, just in kind of conversation and in talk, there were a couple of other guys that were believers, and, uh, and we said, well, let's just get together on, on some free time in the evenings, and let's just, let's just have a small group. Let's read the Bible together. Let's just, let's just have these. I really need that. And they said, we need it too. He said, there was this guy that we were in basic training with that, uh, that had these neck problems, and he was, he was really hurting, and uh, he says he, he wasn't a believer at all. And he said, when they asked him, he said, man, did your neck hurt you? He's like, yeah. He said, I believe God can heal you. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? He said, I, I believe God can heal you, man. I really do. He said, what are you doing tonight after dinner? He's like, nothing. He said, if you want, come hang out with us. A couple guys who be reading the Bible, hanging out, learning about Jesus. I'd love for you to come, just see what it's about. Pray for you. Pray for your neck. The guy said, okay. He ends up showing up to, to, the, uh, to the Bible thing. The guy's a little freaked out. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, people reading the Bible and stuff. And he's like, okay. At the end of it, my buddy gets up and he says, hey, can we pray for you? And the guy said, sure, you can pray for me. And he begins to lay hands on him right there. As he's laying hands on him, he begins to fall in the spirit. Boom. He said he fell to the ground. He said, I've never seen anything like that before. He said, I didn't know what to do. I was just, I was praying for him and he fell out. He said, well, we were trying to like drag him and wake him up. We were like, we, we, we were all scared. We didn't know what was going on. He says, we're doing this. You know, we're calling a couple other people. Hey, come help us. This guy fell out. We're trying to get him in a chair. The, uh, he said, the guy, the platoon leader that, that is over them comes in. He's like, what did you do to this kid? He's like, no, 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 no. We didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong. We were praying for him, and then he fell out in the spirit, and he's laying on the floor. We're trying to drag him into the chair, and the guy's like, I gotta go get the drill sergeant. He's like, No, 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 don't do that. Give me like three minutes to get him in the chair. We'll get him straightened out. Don't worry about it. Just, just give me some time. Just give me some time. The guy said he woke up, and he's like, Man, I don't, I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened, but my neck feels better. Oh my gosh. I mean, he's like, I, I, I don't know what's going on, man. And the guy said, All right, well, let me tell you what happened. We prayed for you. You went, and you fell to the ground. And you were like, mm. and then and then we drug you. Then the guy walked in, and he was like, no, 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 no. And he said, we got you here, and here you are now. He said, I said, well, how's it going? How is he doing in his walk? He said, I don't know. I don't know. Because a few weeks after that, we all shipped out. I don't know where he's at. He's gone. He said, but I had one opportunity, and I had to take it. He said, I had to take it. See, we got to minister where you're at. You always got to minister where you're at. You're going to have one opportunity. How long was he with Potiphar? I don't know. But he had to take the opportunity. Come on, how long was he, was he in the prison? I don't know, but he had to take the opportunity. Come on, everywhere we go, the Lord's giving us opportunity. And you have no idea the connection that you make. 
Come on, you have no idea what God's going to do when he brings it all back around a full circle. You have no idea that the connection you made in the jail is the very thing that's going to set you up for the spot of success where God is calling you to be. You have no idea. Man, you got to minister where you're at. The last one is this right here. Last thing to do in thriving in the difficulty is you got to keep your heart pure. You got to keep your heart pure. Joseph had every right to be angry, every right to be bitter, every right to hate, but he didn't. I'm sure he struggled with it. I'm sure there were times where he's sitting crying by himself, thinking about everything that he's missed. His dad's probably dead by now. I hadn't seen my dad in forever. He was already old when I left. He's probably thinking about his brothers and his sisters. The thing that he left, I mean, all, all of these relationships that he had, everything that he missed. And instead of letting resentment, anger, and bitterness set in, I'm sure it was a struggle for him. He kept his heart pure in the midst of it. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43 through 44, it says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Come on, man, if we're going to thrive in the midst of this thing, you got to keep your heart pure through it all. you got to keep your heart pure through it all. Because guess what? You'll never see what God's got for you if you're full of anger and bitterness. Because guess what? The only lens you'll ever see through is through that lens. Because of that, everything around you is out of anger. Everything that you see around you is out of bitterness. Come on, that's all you'll be able to see. Joseph came to this, this realization at the end of his life. And you know what? At the end of it all, none of that stuff really even matters. God did what he was going to do. You know what? I, I, I paid. I walked it out. But guess what? I'm living in the blessing now. And you know what? Man, he did it not just for me but for others around me. Now, a lot of times we'll get selfish in our thinking that God's purpose for our life is just for us and just to prosper us. But everywhere Joseph was, because he was a man of God and because God's favor was on him, flourished around him. Come on, we gotta be those kinds of people that wherever we're at, we make the situation better. Come on, wherever we walk, we see God's provision where we're at. Wherever we settle, man, we see God begin to just pour out his blessing, his love, and his mercy on those places and those people. Come on, if we're going to do that, we got to keep our hearts pure in the midst of the difficulty. In all of it. It's not worth it. It's not worth harboring the anger and the hate. As Joseph, at the end of his life, he says, you know what? What you intended to harm me, God, you intended that, man. You had a plan for that thing to destroy me. You had a plan, but God had a plan also, man. God had a plan, and his plan won out. His plan beat all other plans. And guess what? Because of that. We were able to save men.